We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 224 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, January 7th, 2022, another snowy day in the nation's capital, at least where I live. There is a fresh snow on the ground as I tape this at, what time is it? 4.16 Friday morning. Uh, hopefully, I-95 in Virginia was prepared for this snow. Hopefully, we don't have 24-hour commutes for people on I-95 in Virginia once again. That would be nice. But hello and welcome to a Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, what is the final Washington football team pregame show installment of the pod for this NFL season. Yes, just one Washington football team game remains in the 2021 NFL season, and the game is a doozy. 6-10 and 10 Washington at the 4-12 and 12 New York Giants this Sunday afternoon at 1. I tell you, that game stands out like a sore thumb on the NFL's Week 18 schedule. Washington at the Giants is by far the worst game on the NFL's Week 18 schedule. A 6-10 and 10 team playing at a 4-12 and 12 team. This is the Tank Bowl This is a game that I, as a Washington fan, want Washington to lose, but will Washington lose this game? Will Washington come together as a team, rally, and lose this game? And if Washington loses this game, will Washington do the post-game stone-throwing thing, the David and Goliath thing? That's what I want to see, okay? A Washington loss And then after the loss, someone throwing the stone at the whiteboard in Washington's locker room, okay? That, to me, would be the perfect scene on Sunday. A Washington loss would be much better than a Washington win, so a loss should be celebrated. Well, my friends, we will be making history on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast because later on, I will be doing rhyming keys for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. Yes, rhyming keys, not for a Washington win, but for a Washington loss. Washington is better off losing the game. And so my rhyming keys for the first time ever will be about how Washington can lose as opposed to how Washington can win. Some scheduled fun is forthcoming. But before that, I'm going to discuss a whole lot of stuff 
that Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner and Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio said on Thursday afternoon at their post-practice Zoom press conferences. Scott and Jack spoke for the final time this season in terms of press conferences, and each guy said a lot. Yes, Jack Del Rio said a lot. He was in rare form. Uh, Scott talked a lot about what he's looking for in a potential franchise quarterback for Washington, also talked about Taylor Heineke's future with Washington. Jack addressed what the heck went wrong for Washington's defense this season, including Chase Young and William Jackson III. Jack also revealed why he is the way he is with the media. Jack was compelling on Thursday. Uh, So you'll hear all of that key audio, as you always do on this podcast. No other podcast comes close to bringing you the key Washington football team audio like this podcast does. And I'll comment on what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio had to say. Also on the show, my thoughts on another loss for Maryland basketball, 76-64 at Illinois on Thursday night as the Terrapins got done dirty by the best big man in the country, Kofi Cockburn. And I have a rant for you late in the show. Yes, a rant. This Glenn Consor thing. Are you aware of this? Have you been following this? I'm going to get into this and sound off on LeBron James, the almighty LeBron who refuses to even consider forgiveness for Glenn Consor, even though what he did has nothing to do with Bron Bron. You see, nobody is perfect like LeBron James is perfect. What a joke. Uh, We had some wild stories regarding DC sports on Thursday. Not just the Glenn Consor thing, which blew up like crazy, but the Clinton Portis thing. How about this? Former Washington running back Clinton Portis sentenced to six months in federal prison and six months of home confinement for his part in defrauding a healthcare benefit program for retired NFL veterans. Uh, Clinton in September pleaded guilty to fraud following charges that he obtained nearly $100,000 after filing false claims for medical equipment that was not provided according to court documents. Also pleading guilty in this case has been former Washington corner Carlos Rogers. Uh, Look, I like Clinton Portis. I used to do radio shows with Clinton. I have had Clinton on as a guest. Uh, This is sad. This is very sad. You know, that a guy in Clinton who made as much money as he made in his NFL career has had the financial problems that he has had and that he felt the need to resort to something like this. Just sad. Uh, I wish Clinton well. I do. Uh, But obviously what he did was wrong. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of tweets on the Washington football team agreeing with Charles Leno Jr. on a contract extension. Tweet from John Madden. Wait, John Madden? No, not that John Madden. Uh, That would be impressive. Writes John, character guys that can excel at football. You hear about players refusing to play for slash sign with Washington, but then a player like Leno signs an extension. It really makes me wonder what gives. I'll take a whole bunch of Lenos, though. I know that. Uh, Thank you for the email, John. Yeah, Washington isn't exactly an NFL paradise, okay? But Washington also is not the NFL hell that some people make it out to be. Every year we get people saying, oh, nobody is going to want to come here. Who would want to come here? Who would want to sign with this dumpster fire of a team? And then every year without fail, guys do come here. 
guys do sign with Washington, and plenty of guys have re-signed with Washington. Money talks and opportunity talks. Now, nothing talks louder than money, but if a player likes the money and the opportunity, then that player will sign with a team. And that doesn't mean that Washington is some off-the-charts destination for NFL players, but this annual cry of nobody wants to come here is overrated and gets disproven every year. Tweet from Put Jacoby in Huff. Uh, yes, Joe Jacoby should have gotten into the Pro Football Hall of Fame years ago, writes, put Jacoby in Huff regarding Washington extending Charles Leno. Now let's sign McKissick, DeAndre Carter, and of course we need to pony up for 17. Yes, thank you, uh, put Jacoby in Huff. Yeah, it sounds like Washington is looking to sign J.D. McKissick to a contract extension. He's said to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I would endorse signing J.D. McKissick to a contract extension. It almost certainly won't cost a lot. Same for DeAndre Carter, who has been really good on kickoff returns this season. And of course, 17, Terry McLaurin. That's the big contract extension for Washington to watch for this coming offseason. The 2022 season is the final season of Terry's four-year rookie contract. He has outperformed his rookie contract by miles, given that Washington took him in the third round of the 2019 NFL draft out of Ohio State. Washington is going to have to come hard and come correct with a contract extension offer this offseason because Terry is only a year away from free agency. The salary cap is going to be skyrocketing. And as we know, Terry has had, shall we say, a revolving door at quarterback over his three seasons with Washington. So he's going to need to be overwhelmed to sign a contract extension this offseason. I would think that Washington is aware that Terry is going to need to be overwhelmed with an offer. Email from Chris Rossi on whether the Washington football team is better off losing this Sunday's season finale at the Giants. Writes Chris, Happy New Year, Al. As we approach the end of the season, we always debate whether it's better for Washington to win or lose and how the result will affect our draft position. In 2019, we all wanted the team to lose its last two games against New York and Dallas, and we did lose, so we got Chase Young. Had we won both of those games, we would have ended up with five wins, like the Dolphins, who took Tua, and the Chargers, who took Justin Herbert. Last year, we all wanted the team to win the final game against Philly and make the playoffs. We did win the game, but lost in the first round and dropped to 19th in the draft. Had we lost that game against Philly, we would have ended up with six wins and likely picked Justin Fields, Mac Jones, or Micah Parsons. Instead, we ended up with Jamin Davis. Ironically, it seems like the best outcome at the end of the season is sometimes the exact opposite of what we all think will be the best outcome. So I'll be rooting for a win on Sunday. Thank you for the email, Chris. Happy New Year to you. Very good points by you. Uh, I do wonder about whether Washington would have taken Micah Parsons had he been available to Washington in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft, given the off-the-field concerns with Micah Parsons. But obviously, seeing what Micah Parsons has been for the Dallas Cowboys this season, Washington would be much better off with Parsons than Washington is with Jamin Davis, at least right now. Uh, but yes, generally speaking, we probably do make too much out of whether Washington should win or lose these late season games. And as most people know, there are good players to be found pretty much everywhere. 
in an NFL draft. And if you're just talking about first rounds, the best defensive player in football right now, arguably, is TJ Watt. The Pittsburgh Steelers took TJ Watt with the number 30 overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft out of Wisconsin. Uh, one of our guys, Jonathan Allen, he this season has been one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. Washington took him with the number 17 pick in the 2017 NFL draft out of Alabama. We mentioned Micah Parsons. The Cowboys took him with the number 12 pick in the 2021 NFL draft out of Penn State. What matters most isn't where you draft, but who is doing the drafting. Is that person or are those people on point with his slash their evaluations? Well, you always want to be on point with your health, including the health of your skin. And when it comes to the health of your skin, always know that Dr. George Verghese of the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland is there for you. If you are having problems with your skin, if you have questions about your skin, contact Dr. George Verghese. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery, Institute of Maryland. All right, one more game for the 6-10 Washington football team in its 2021 season. Uh, that game is this Sunday afternoon at the 4-12 and New York Giants at 1. If you think that things have been bad for Washington and things have been bad for Washington, understand how bad things have been for the Giants. So Washington, as we all know, has been mostly bad for the last 29 seasons. The Giants, though, have been exceptionally bad for nearly a decade now. This season is the Giants' eighth losing season in nine seasons. This season is the Giants' fifth consecutive double-digit loss season and seventh double-digit loss season in eight seasons. Now, yes, the Giants won Super Bowls for the 2007 and 2011 season, so those two seasons right there blow away anything that Washington has done since the 1991 season, but the Giants in very recent history have been much worse than Washington has been. Washington at least has won three NFC East titles over the last 10 seasons, 2012, 2015, and 2020. But yeah, neither team has exactly killed it 
in recent history. Next segment, I'm going to talk Washington defense. Off some good stuff from Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon during his post-practice Zoom press conference on what went wrong for Washington's defense this season. But right now, we talk Washington offense. And before I get to some good stuff from Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon during his final post-practice Zoom press conference of the season, the latest injury report for Sunday's season finale at the Giants includes the following regarding Washington offensive players. Curtis Samuel on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to the hamstring injury that has had him inactive for each of Washington's last three games. I see no point in Curtis Samuel playing on Sunday. This season has been a complete disaster for him. Ricky Seals-Jones on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to being in concussion protocol off the nasty spill that he took in the 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Remember, Ricky in the second quarter was stretchered off the field off a Taylor Heineke shotgun incompletion on a broken play as Ricky crashed into multiple people, including a cameraman to the right of the end zone. Sadiq Charles on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a knee issue that he dealt with in the loss to the Eagles. Antonio Gibson on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to a hip ailment uh, with which he dealt last week. Uh, Washington on Wednesday morning activated Gibson off the reserve COVID-19 list. He had been on it uh, since last Friday, December 31st. Gibson did not play and the loss to the Eagles. Samuel Cosme on Thursday was a full participant in practice off having been limited on Wednesday due to a hip ailment. Cosme earlier this season missed three consecutive games due to a hip injury. And Samus Reyes, who was not on the injury report for Wednesday, was on the injury report for Thursday. Uh, Reyes on Thursday was limited in practice due to a hamstring. All right, so Scott Turner, every question that Scott got asked on Thursday, just like every question that Jack Del Rio got asked on Thursday, was about the bigger picture. Nobody cares about this game at the Giants in terms of the matchup. I will not be doing a deep dive on each team's DVOA numbers. I'm sorry. Uh, Nothing, and I mean nothing, matters more for Washington entering this 2022 offseason than the quarterback situation. Monday will be the first full day of a 2022 Washington offseason that, from a football standpoint, is going to be about quarterback more than anything. Washington pretty clearly is going to be shopping hard for a quarterback this offseason, maybe quarterbacks this offseason. I think that the 2022 NFL draft is the most realistic avenue by which Washington will get its potential franchise quarterback, but who knows? So many things could change. However, Washington attacks the quarterback position this offseason. What's going to matter more than anything is that Washington properly evaluates its quarterback options this offseason. Scott Turner previously has said that one of his biggest must-haves for quarterbacks is decision-making. This was Scott on Thursday on how he assesses decision-making when evaluating college quarterbacks for an NFL draft. It's just, to me, it's it's off the tape. I mean, it's 90% off the tape. And then you try to talk to their coaches a little bit. I mean, for the most part, like if I watch the tape of a college offense, I have a pretty decent idea where the ball is supposed to go. Um, you know, if a guy's throwing a lot, of in, a lot of interceptions, if he's forcing the ball um, to cover guys, you know, if he's throwing the ball, you know, on a deep in route and the hook defenders got a bunch of depth underneath it, like consistently, like you can tell, like that's a bad decision or, um, 
you know, guys that guys that consistently take completions that, um, you know, everything happens on time. Um, you know, you can see them working their eyes and feet through progressions. And um, even if, you know, the ball gets to a check down or the ball gets thrown on one hitch to a primary receiver, um, you know, those are things that that you can tell. I mean, you see that from watching the tape. Um, and then you just kind of double check that when you have conversations, uh, you know, with the player to a certain extent, but then also if you try to, you know, talk to their college coaches and, um, you know, kind of confirm what you already know as far as like maybe what they're coached or um, not coached to do. Yeah, decision-making is huge. If a quarterback isn't throwing the football toward the right people, then nothing else matters. Not accuracy, not arm strength, not anything. And what matters a lot too is quick decision-making, which you might call processing speed. How quickly do you as a quarterback process what you're seeing in terms of the defense and to whom to throw the football. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday on other top traits that he looks for in quarterbacks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we talked about decision-making, obviously. I think accuracy, you got to be an accurate passer and there's degrees of that. You know what I mean? Um, but the ball's got to go uh, where you want it to go, you know? And I think those two things really go, uh, really go hand in hand. Um, and then there's like a list of attributes, obviously. And depending on, you know, the guy, uh, you know, it's like, what's more important than the other? Like if a guy, you know, if he doesn't move as well, you know, that's tough. It makes it tough to play. Well, he better have a really quick release and a strong arm. Um, and those decisions better happen fast and the ball's got to come out. Um, and then if, you know, maybe his arm isn't quite as strong, like, you know, the athleticism has better be up there. Um, you know, his athleticism, his ability to move, um, to get out of the pocket. Um, I think ultimately, and we talked about this before, like, the the most successful quarterbacks in this league over time are guys that are going to beat you throwing the ball. And, and that, you know, um, you got guys like Aaron Rodgers who unbelievable arm or like Patrick Holmes, that unbelievable arm, but he's got, they've got a lot of really good athleticism too. So they can extend plays. They're not runners, but they're, they can, they can take off and scramble if they need to. Um, you know, that's like, you know, you look at that and I mean, that's what you want. There's not a lot of people like that walking the, uh, walking the earth. So you try to find the best that you can for different attributes. And then, you know, we, we've done a lot of different things offensively over the years and um, whoever your quarterback is, you try to fit, fit your offense uh, to them. But I think, like, I think ultimately, and I'm talking in circles a little bit here, but ultimately like you have to, you got to throw the ball and you got to throw the ball successfully and be able to be able to find find completions. Yes, you do. No question about that. So the other top quarterback traits that Scott Turner listed beyond decision making were accuracy, arm strength if the quarterback isn't athletic and athleticism if the quarterback doesn't have great arm strength. I thought that that was interesting. Now, Scott Turner is pretty young. He's only 39. But Scott on Thursday was asked if his priorities for the quarterback position have changed over the years. Here was his answer. No, I, I mean, it's hard. Not like, I think there's even back like uh, before that, I, when I was a kid, like watching football, like a guy like Randall Cunningham was an unbelievable player and he could run around. Now there's more guys like that nowadays, but you know, that's another skill. Like a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's an MVP quarterback. Um, 
you know, obviously he can be very successful. He's been hurt this year. I know that, but like, you can see it, like you can see that, that it works and they've fit their offense to fit the player. And I think that, um, that's something that you have to do because there's not like just a line of prototypical guys lined up. Like you got to find the best possible guy that you can with the resources you have available, whether it's free agency, um, you know, on your roster already or a draft pick. And then you got to try to, you got to try to make that work. Yes, you do. And what Scott Turner at the end of that answer alluded to is the reality that Washington this offseason may well not end up getting some ideal solution at quarterback. Maybe the biggest truth about Washington going all out for a franchise quarterback this offseason is that Washington is at the mercy of those quarterbacks who are realistically available to Washington. Like, if indeed the likes of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson don't want to come to Washington, and Washington doesn't really like any of the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft or is unable to draft any of the quarterbacks who Washington does really like in the 2022 NFL draft, uh, then what? Mitchell Trubisky? Like, we can talk all we want about Washington needing to aim high at the quarterback position this offseason, but the available height of that aim uh, may be more Muggsy Bogues than Manute Bowl. We just don't know. And so that brings us to Washington's current starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Speaking of height, uh, although the way that Heineke sometimes gets talked about in terms of his height, you'd think that he's shorter than Muggsy Bogues. But anyway, here was Scott Turner on Thursday on how Taylor Heineke factors into Washington's quarterback situation moving forward? Uh, I think Taylor's definitely going to be a factor. I think that, um, you know, you know, it's been a up and down year. I think there's been some games where it's been good. Um, and then there's some games that, that it hasn't been as good. And I think you can say that, um, you know, for our entire offense, you know, and, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, like, you know, the quarterback gets the majority of the credit when it goes good and he gets the majority of the blame and probably neither one of them are fair. Um, but, you know, the, it's the most important position um, in the sport and we can to, to be as good as possible there. And whoever, um, if, if we do bring a guy in, if that happens uh, in the, you, who, how, and however that happens, I mean, Taylor's, Taylor's going to be here, you know, and I know um, what his makeup is and I know he's going to be ready to, to ready to compete and he ain't going to give anybody anything. So, um, you know, we're going to evaluate everything, you know, after this game and um, we're going to try to get it as good as we can at, at every position, but especially um, at that position. So Scott Turner right there essentially said what I have said many times. Taylor Heineke has had a high variance season. The good has been quite good. The bad has been quite bad. But Scott also said, and he said this at the beginning of the answer, quote, Taylor's definitely going to be a factor, end quote. Now, Scott Turner, of course, knows Taylor Heineke well, has worked with Taylor for years. So the two were together on the Minnesota Vikings, for whom Scott was quarterback's coach. The two were together on the Carolina Panthers, for whom Scott was quarterback's coach. The two have been together on Washington, for which Scott has been offensive coordinator. And Taylor has started 15 of 16 games this regular season. This was Scott Turner on Thursday on if he has learned anything new about Taylor this season. 
I wouldn't say it revealed uh, anything. Maybe it just kind of confirmed more of what, or like, you know, the scientific method, you, you make a, you form a hypothesis. Uh, like, you know, you, in my head, like I had an idea of what it was going to be like. And I think that, uh, um, or how he would respond to certain things. And I think for the most part, uh, he confirmed that, you know, that you, I think, you know, whatever people want to say about him, I think uh, everyone, no one can deny his toughness, you know, his fight. I mean, the, the players on the team, they love him, they respect him. Um, all those guys play hard and and uh, play hard for him and battle for him. Um, you know, and those are the kind of things that, you know, I felt like, you know, we would see. Um, and then, you know, there's, you know, and then the, like the more you play, it gets tough and, you know, um, you're going to get see some difficult looks and, you know, even the best quarterbacks in the world uh, have have bad games, you know, so you're going to get some of that. Um, and to me, it's how you respond from it. And he's done a nice job of, of battling back, even though, you know, the results didn't end up, you know, how we wanted them to, um, you know, uh, per se. But I think uh, I think, you know, he's kind of confirmed what I've already thought of. him. Yeah. And that last part right there can be a good thing, but also can be a bad thing. Uh, Taylor Heineke is under contract for next season. He should be on Washington next season. But this coming 2022 Washington offseason needs to result in an appreciably better option at quarterback for Washington for the 2022 season and beyond. Up next, Jack Del Rio, like we had not heard him before. Some apparent honesty on what went down with Washington's defense this season and a testy exchange regarding whether Jack will be back as Washington defensive coordinator. We'll get to all of that and more after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this week for the Washington football team has felt like the last week of a school year. 
Remember when you were in school, or maybe you're still in school, uh, that feeling during the last week of school. Things are relaxed. You know that the end is coming. You know that a lengthy break is coming. And one of the things that was always interesting to me in school was that teachers really loosened up toward the ends of school years. You, during the ends of school years, would see sides of teachers that you never knew existed. I went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland, a high school that has produced two current Supreme Court justices, NBD. And in my sophomore year at prep, I had a biology teacher named Mr. Dorr. And Mr. Dorr was an ultra-strict, ultra-by-the-book, ultra-everything-has-to-be-just-right kind of teacher. The name fit perfectly. Mr. Dorr. He used to make us do these tedious outlines of chapters in this biology textbook that was thicker than Al Saunders' playbook, okay? Uh, There was a Bill Belichick nature to Mr. Dorr. And he, for so much of the year, was pretty much humorless, and personalityless. And then came the end of the year. And I'll never forget this. He, in a class toward the end of the year, I'm guessing by design, loosened up and was funny and showed off his personality. And it was great. And it meant a lot because we had not previously seen this side of Mr. Door. And I actually came to have great respect for Mr. Door as a teacher. And Washington defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio reminds me of Mr. Doerr. Jack has been doing a weekly post-practice press conference on Thursdays this season. Not every week, but most weeks. And as I have noted on this podcast and have had fun with on this podcast, Jack's answers at these press conferences have mostly been short and generic and boring and revealed nothing. He has given us a little bit here and there, but by and large, he hasn't been anywhere near as interesting as Ron Rivera and Scott Turner with their answers at press conferences this season. Well, Jack on Thursday afternoon in his post-practice Zoom press conference, what was his final press conference of the season, opened up. Now, I don't want to overstate this. It's not like Jack all of a sudden was, you know, Jimmy Fallon in terms of personality, but Jack opened up, certainly more so than he had in any other press conferences this season. What, of course, has been, overall, a disappointing season for a Washington defense with a lot of talent. Washington's defense was terrible during the team's 2-6 and six start to the season. Washington's defense was then much better over the next five games, including the four-game winning streak. Washington's defense then was really bad over the next two games, the loss at the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 15 and the loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football in Week 16. And then I thought that Washington's defense was pretty good in the most recent game, the 2016 loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. So 16 games for the Washington football team so far in this 2021 regular season. The defense has been good in just six of the 16 games. Not good enough. This is Jack Del Rio's second season as Washington defensive coordinator. Jack on Thursday had the following exchange with Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. And Jack, just since this is, I think, the last time we'll get to talk to you, are, are you hopeful to come back to this position next year? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm not hopeful. Uh, will be. All right. Good for Michael Phillips for asking the tough question. And Jack sure sounded like a defensive coordinator who is coming back, or at least is expecting to come back, because the thing is, it may just be that whether Jack is coming back has yet to be addressed. For the record, I don't have a problem with Jack coming back for a third season as Washington defensive coordinator, but I say that with a major caveat. If there's stuff behind the scenes that we don't know about, and that stuff is why this Washington defense mysteriously was so bad over the first eight games of this 2021 regular season for Washington, and the stuff is the fault of Jack Del Rio, or at least the stuff has a lot to do with Jack Del Rio, then I do have a problem with Jack being retained. But that caveat aside, I'm fine with Jack Del Rio being retained as Washington defensive coordinator. Jack Del Rio has a very good reputation as a defensive coordinator. Jack Del Rio has had success with a number of NFL teams in terms of presiding over quality defenses, and Jack did a very good job with Washington's defense last season. But it is a big deal that Washington's defense was so bad during the team's 2-6 and six start to this season, and the why behind Washington's defense having been so bad during the team's 2-6 and six start to this season matters. Know your why, as Robert Griffin III once told us. Uh, we get the why behind Washington's defensive struggles more recently, right? Injuries and the COVID-19 outbreak. But there were no such excuses for the defensive struggles during the two and six start. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on whether he, after the end of this season, will take some time off or will get right into analyzing what went right and wrong for Washington's defense in the 2021 regular season. Well, it's a little bit of both. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the plan the head coach has in place and then um, to, to kind of finish the year end. And um, and then we will dig in and have a very thorough offseason, you know, studying not only ourselves, but studying the league. And, um, you know, you, you kind of get into that whole that whole uh, part of, of the job, which is, uh, you know, a thorough analysis of yourself and thorough analysis of, some of the trends in the league and uh, and making sure that you build your system uh, accordingly. Yeah, and Jack Del Rio needs to do a thorough analysis of his defense for the 2021 regular season because, again, there's too much talent on this Washington defense for it to have had the season that the defense has had. You know, even with the improved play, here are some key Washington defensive rankings through Week 17 of the 2021 regular season. Washington is just 28th out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Now, Washington is 10th in the NFL in run defense per DVOA, but Washington also is 31st out of 32 NFL teams in third down defense, which is measured by lowest opponents' third down efficiency. 49.5% is the Washington football team's opponents' combined third down efficiency this season, 49.5%. The pass defense and the third down defense overall have been abysmal this season. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on what he looks at with Washington's defense having underachieved despite having all of this talent. Well, I think, um, you know, one thing that's been consistent is that uh, 
in a in a year like this, I think you've seen you know continuous. Um, I would call it sticking together and and fighting hard. I, I think there's been um, there's been grittiness. Uh, there's been determination that really hasn't waned. And um, you know, next man up, and we've had a lot of different scenarios. And, and you know, it comes it can come off as sounding like excuses. I mean, but we're just talking, having a conversation. The reality is. Uh, there, there was, there was a lot that went on in, in the last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, between COVID and COVID, people being pulled out for COVID, we, we've had several tragic incidents, um, you know, deaths around the, fa- around the, you know, families and, and team, um, uh, you know, just a lot, a lot of things other than football, uh, that have gone into, um, it, and then injuries. And so, you know, you add it all up. It was a lot, uh, but never, never, ever was there a wavering in the type of uh, determination and and willingness to come in, go to work, how to stick together and fight and those things. I think I think those are important things. So that's you know the character part was was strong. Uh, the performance needs to be better, and you know, you know I know we'll we'll once we get done with this last uh, opportunity to go play and have fun with each other against the Giants on Sunday, then we'll turn our attention to getting better for next year. Yeah, and there's a lot of work to do in that regard. Uh, Let's discuss some specific Washington defensive players. So maybe no Washington defensive player, heck, maybe no Washington player, period, had a more disappointing 2021 season than Chase Young had. Uh, Underwhelming stats, both in terms of basic stats and advanced stats. And then Chase suffered a torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on the biggest thing for Chase Young to work on this offseason. Uh, I, I would think the biggest thing right now is just to get healthy. Uh, he came in and saw me uh, uh, a couple of days ago. Great to see him. You know, he's in good spirits. Um, he, you know, he's a he's a tremendous player, tremendous person. Uh, I, I I know that you know we we certainly want his impact. Um, throughout our offseason and our offseason's work. And I think that'll be an important thing for, for him and for us, you know, to have his presence because um, he's just one of, he's, he's just one of those guys, a natural leader, you know, in terms of interactions with teammates and coaches and whatnot. I think uh, his presence is, is very valuable. So Chase Young in the 2021 regular season over nine games, just one and a half sacks, just four quarterback hits, just Three tackles for loss, two forced fumbles. Okay, overall grade for Pro Football Focus of seventy-five point one. That's not terrible. PFF grades are on a scale of zero to a hundred, so seventy-five point one. But you know that's not like a special grade. And we all know that Chase Young was taken with the number two overall pick in the twenty twenty NFL Draft to be special. The standard by which Chase Young is judged is different than the standard by which most other edge defenders in the NFL are judged, especially considering that Chase Young was the Associated Press Defensive Rookie of the Year for the 2020 season. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on how important it is for Chase Young to improve on where he was this season in order to have a big season next season. Yeah, I think every year you have to do that, you know, and so so this year was cut short. Um, this year, you know, didn't start off with uh, with the ki- type of impact I know he'd like to have. And um, so those are just motivators, you know, in, in terms of digging in and having a really productive offseason. And, uh, and that'll be important for him. Yes, it will be. Of course, the other thing with Chase Young's 2021 season 
was him being called out by Ron Rivera now multiple times, if not directly, then indirectly. Ron called out Chase for not adhering to the defensive scheme. Ron called out Chase for not being more productive. And on Monday afternoon, Ron, during his day after the game Zoom press conference, called out Chase for needing to attend Washington's OTA practices this coming offseason of Chase having not attended any of Washington's OTA practices in the 2021 offseason. As for William Jackson III, so his season appears to be over with Washington on Wednesday having placed him on the reserve COVID-19 list. Washington this past March signed Jackson to a three-year, $40.5 million contract as an unrestricted free agent. Jackson has played in 12 of Washington's 16 regular season games this season. He missed two games due to a knee injury. He was inactive for the last two games due to a calf injury. Jackson's overall grade for pro football focus this season is just 59.7. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on how he looks back on William Jackson III's first season with Washington. Yeah, I mean, um, look, Will, Will's a very talented player. Um, we, we feel like, uh, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't able to, to, to bring that um, to the, maybe to the heights that we hoped um, in terms of uh, his ability to impact us and um, help solidify and make our back end uh, much stronger. So I think, you know, he, he's a very talented player. Uh, we look forward to continuing to work with him. All right. So Jack Del Rio on Thursday, like Ron Rivera during his post-practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday, admitted in some way that things with William Jackson III this season did not go as Washington wanted them to go. Why is that? Does Jack view the reason as more the way that Jackson was used or just Jackson not having experience playing in Jack's defense. Yeah, it's always it's always to me. Um, you know, this this is a time of year where you can get into a lot of um, different discussions. I think for us, you know, we will all look at what we can do better, and I, and that's what we'll encourage our players to do. And and so it's it's all of us working together to um, to make sure we're as good as we can be going forward. I feel the same way about it, whether um, whether you guys were patting us on the back for a job well done or whether you're trying to dig for who's to blame uh, for a, a year that didn't go the way we all hoped it would. So, um, but, but our approach is going to be very, very much the same. You know, we're going to analyze, uh, we're, we're going to make sure that we, you know, study it uh, and that we do everything in our power to put guys in position to make plays and that we help prepare them so that they understand exactly what they have to get done and they can play at a higher level. I, I like to think that, that uh, as a coach, that I've been able to help a lot of guys make a lot of money in this league. And so, um, you know, when you do a good job and, and you play great football, uh, everybody benefits. All right, good stuff there from Jack Del Rio. Jack on Thursday opened up in a manner in which he really hadn't this season, probably because he felt like he had to, you know, he had to explain what the heck happened with Washington's defense in this 2021 season. Also from Jack Del Rio on Thursday was him addressing why he is the way he is with the media. Now, it's funny because Jack, prior to becoming Washington's defensive coordinator in January 2020, was working in the media. 
Jack Del Rio was working as an NFL analyst for ESPN, and yet Jack this season has given these short, evasive, oh-so-bland answers to questions at these Thursday post-practice press conferences. Jack on Thursday on how he views the media. Uh, you, I think you learn, you know, through your years of experience. Uh, I certainly appreciate the job that uh, that you all do covering us. I think it's part of what makes the game so popular. And, uh, um, you know, having done that for a couple of years with ESPN, uh, I understand the work that goes into it, the preparation, you know, the time and effort, the energy put forth uh, to put, put out good content, you know, knowledgeable content. So I think from that standpoint, I, I try to do as much as I can to, to, to help you understand, um, but at the same time, you know, going to protect, you know, our, our, our players and, and our coaches and, and not, uh, you know, not, not get into a um, situation where you're not putting them in the best light. Makes sense. Now, that approach uh, doesn't make for the best content for you and me as fans and observers, but I think what Jack Del Rio said right there, Makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, we seemingly got a more honest and upfront Jack Del Rio on Thursday. It was nice to have that. Mr. Door would be proud. Uh, in terms of Washington's season finale at the New York Giants this Sunday afternoon at 1, Montez Sweat on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to personal reasons off the shooting death of his brother, Anthony Sweat. On December 28th, Montez did not play in Washington's last game the loss to the Eagles at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon. James Smith-Williams on Thursday was limited in practice for a second consecutive day due to illness, which we believe is asthma. Uh, James Smith-Williams has been inactive for two of Washington's last three games due to the illness. Uh, The Giants' injury report for this game is quite lengthy. Washington's not so much. The Giants' starting quarterback, Daniel Jones, is done for the season due to a neck injury. Jake Fromm will be the Giants' starting quarterback on Sunday. Jake Fromm, this season, over two games, has a total QBR per ESPN of 6.2. Yeah, 6.2. Total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, This game on Sunday may well end up being a seventh good game for Washington's defense this season. One other thing with Washington's defense, DeShazer Everett on Thursday tweeted something. We had not heard anything from DeShazer Everett since the tragedy. DeShazer Everett is on the reserve non-football injury list. He was placed on that on Christmas Eve. DeShazer on December 23rd was the driver in a fatal one-car crash in Loudoun County that killed the vehicle's passenger, 29-year-old Olivia Peters. We still don't know a lot about what happened and why DeShazer on Thursday afternoon tweeted, quote, thank you for all of your prayers. Continue to pray for Olivia's family and me. Thank you all, end quote. And then we have a praying hands emoji. And then we have the hashtag live for live. L-I-V, the number four, L-I-V. All right, well, tough transition from that last topic there, but let us get to it. The time to rhyme. It is time for the season finale of Rhyming Keys, and this installment of Rhyming Keys is a history-making installment of Rhyming Keys because this installment of Rhyming Keys will feature Rhyming Keys for a Washington 
loss. Yes, not a win, but a loss. I've been a fan of the team currently known as the Washington football team since I was old enough to follow sports. I will never not be a fan of the team currently known as the Washington football team, no matter who the owner is or what the team's name is. And so I will always want what is best for Washington. Well, what is best for Washington in this Sunday afternoon season finale at the New York Giants at one is for Washington to lose this game. Winning this game would do Washington no real good and would harm Washington's position in the 2022 NFL Draft. Washington, as things stand going into Week 18, would have the number nine pick in the 2022 NFL draft. Now, look, I am not advocating for Washington players to throw the game. You can't do that. And actually, not playing hard is a good way to get injured. Uh, I'm also not advocating for Ron Rivera to coach to lose the game because him doing that would be a good way to lose the locker room. I'm just telling you what I want. And what I want is for Washington to lose the game. I don't want Washington to get embarrassed. I just want Washington to to lose. Washington has lost so many games over the last 29 seasons. Let's just have one more loss. That's all. And so let us rhyme the path to defeat for the Washington football team in its season finale at the Giants. As you likely know by now, these rhymes are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Rhyming keys for Washington at the Giants. How does Washington lose this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for Ron Rivera. It may take some nerve, but play your reserves. I actually expect this to happen. Ron, at his post-practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday afternoon, stressed that Washington will be trying to win this game at the Giants, but also said that Washington may well be trying to win this game at the Giants while playing some backups and seeing if Washington can win with those guys. Uh, That, my friends, is a head coach who is telling you, without telling you, that he's fine losing the game. In no way can Ron Rivera, as the head coach of the team and as the leader of football operations for the team, even mildly publicly entertain the idea of Washington being better off losing this Sunday as opposed to winning this Sunday. But we can, from what Ron says and certainly from what Ron does, uh, gain some insight into what Ron truly is thinking. And I thought we got some insight on Wednesday. Him on Wednesday acknowledging that Washington may well be trying to win this game at the Giants while playing some backups, to me, was a wink and a nod to people like me who want Washington to lose this game. And so this is a key part of the tank. Play your backups. Play, say, Kyle Allen or Garrett Gilbert for a good chunk of the game at quarterback, even though I know that some of you think that Kyle would be an upgrade over Taylor Heineke, and maybe Kyle would be an upgrade over Taylor. Look, I actually like Kyle Allen. I don't think that he's awful. But play, say, Deami Brown over Terry McLaurin for a good chunk of the game. Play, say, Dax Milne over Adam Humphreys for a good chunk of the game. Play, say, Samus Reyes, if in fact he's good to go with him dealing with this hamstring ailment now, over John Bates 
for a good chunk of the game. Uh, play say Jarrett Patterson and Jonathan Williams over Antonio Gibson for a good chunk of the game. If, in fact, Gibson even plays, he's dealing with a hip ailment. Uh, play say Troy Apke at corner. Yeah, Troy Apke, a.k.a. Trap. He has not played on a single defensive snap this season. Let's change that come Sunday. Uh, play say Derek Forrest at safety. You get the idea. Ride the backups. Riding key number one for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. This is for Ron Rivera. It may take some nerve, but play your reserves. Rhyming key number two for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. This also is for Ron Rivera. When your offense comes through, go for two. Why not just go for the two-point conversion after every touchdown on Sunday? You could present that as, hey, we're playing aggressive. We're playing to win. But of course, going for two after every touchdown would allow for you to, shall we say, shave some points. And maybe those points are the difference in losing the game. And if Washington happens to succeed in going for two, then fine. At least Washington has gotten some work in on something at which Washington has not been good. Perhaps you remember this, but Antonio Gibson in Washington's 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12 had a two-yard shotgun handoff run for a successful two-point conversion attempt to give Washington a 17-9 lead. That successful two-point conversion attempt snapped Washington having been unsuccessful on each of the team's last 12 regular season two-point conversion attempts, which had been the longest such drought in NFL history. Yeah, you could say that Washington needs some work when it comes to going for two. So if nothing else, Washington can practice something that the team has needed to practice, two-point conversion attempts. Rhyming key number two for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. This is for Ron Rivera. When your offense comes through, go for two. And then rhyming key number three for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. This is for the entire Washington football team. Look to the past if you are seeking reason for Washington to lose its finale this season. One of the more underrated trends for Washington over the previous decade has been no-show and or uncompetitive losses in the final games of non-playoff seasons. An uncomfortable truth with our football team is this. Few teams in the NFL have been no-shows, have flat-out quit in season finales quite like our team has over the last decade. Take a listen to these results for Washington teams in season finales in non-playoff seasons over the previous decade, 2011 through 2020. 2019, Washington concluded a 3-13 and season with a 47-16 loss at the Dallas Cowboys. 2018, Washington concluded a 7-9 and season with a 24-0 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. 2017, Washington concluded a 7-9 and season with an 18-10 loss at the New York Giants. Uh, I know that that score isn't so bad, but Washington's performance in that game was bad. 
2016, Washington concluded an 8-7-1 season with a 19-10 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field. This, to me, is the worst loss of the Dan Snyder era. Yes, the worst loss. All Washington had to do to make the playoffs was win this game at home against the Giants team with nothing for which to play. Instead, Washington was terrible in this game. 2014, Washington concluded a 4-12 season with a 44-17 loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field. 2013, Washington concluded a 3-13 season with a 26 loss at the New York Giants. 2011, Washington concluded a 5-11 season with a 34-10 loss at the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. This, for whatever reason, doesn't get talked about a lot, but the truth is, when Washington is having a non-playoff season, Washington taps out in season finales like few other NFL teams. Now, like I said, I don't want Washington to get embarrassed this Sunday, and I actually am interested to see if Washington does play hard on Sunday, given this recent history of quitting in season finales for non-playoff seasons. But yeah, in terms of a key for a loss... Uh, recent Washington history offers quite a bit of inspiration. And so rhyming key number three for a Washington loss at the Giants on Sunday. This is for the entire Washington football team. Look to the past if you are seeking reason for Washington to lose its finale this season. All right, it is prediction time. The line for Washington at the Giants on Sunday afternoon per win bet as of very early Friday morning is Washington minus six and a half. The Giants really are terrible. The Giants in their last game, a 29-3 loss at the Chicago Bears last Sunday afternoon, finished with minus 10 net yards passing. Yeah, minus 10 net yards passing. As much as I, and I know plenty of you, want Washington to lose this game, it's going to take a lot to lose this game. So many players are going to have to step down for Washington to lose this game. You know the phrase, step up, you got to step up to win. Uh, Washington needs players to step down this Sunday. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And so contrary to what I want, I do think that Washington will win the game. Final score, Washington 20, Giants 10. Well, Maryland basketball right now is in the midst of playing a bunch of games in a condensed period of time. The Terrapins are in the midst of playing five games in just 13 days. And the Terps have to be careful here because their season may be getting away from them. Just a bit. The Terps on Thursday night fell to 8 and 6 overall and 0 and 3 in the Big 10 with a 76-64 loss at Illinois. Uh yeah, the Terps now are 0 and 3 in the Big 10. Now the Terps led early in the second half by 6 points at 36-30, but the Terps then lost the rest of the game by 18 points, 46-28. And the story of this game was simple. The Terps got destroyed by the best big man in college basketball, Kofi Cockburn. Kofi Cockburn is from Jamaica. 
Kofi Cockburn is listed by Illinois as being seven feet tall and 285 pounds. There are loads, and then there is Kofi Cockburn, and he dominated Maryland on Thursday night. The Terps allowed Kofi Cockburn to go 9-12 from the field, all twos, and he in just 28 minutes as a starter finished with 23 points and 18 rebounds, including seven offensive boards. Yeah, Kofi Cockburn dealt with some foul trouble, played for just 28 minutes as a starter, and yet he in just those 28 minutes had 23 points and 18 rebounds. The Terps got demolished on the offensive boards. The Terps had four offensive rebounds to Illinois' 19, and the Terps thus had four second-chance points to Illinois' 26. And that right there essentially was the game. Maryland had no answer for Kofi Cockburn. The Terps' big men did nothing against Kofi Cockburn. Uh, the Georgetown transfer, the 6'11 Nigerian, Kudis Wahab, he committed five fouls in just 10 minutes as a starter. Yeah, five fouls in just 10 minutes for Kudis Wahab. He went 0-2 from the field, both twos, finished with no points and two rebounds. And then the 6'9 freshman, Julian Reese, a consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. He, in 21 minutes off the bench, committed five fouls. Uh, when 0 of 1 on threes, just 2 of 7 on twos, had four points, six rebounds, and three steals. Uh, Maryland's bigs got humbled big time by Kofi Cockburn on Thursday night. Maryland's bigs got worked by Kofi Cockburn on Thursday night. Terps interim head coach Danny Manning during his postgame press conference on how Kudus Wahab and Julian Reese handled Kofi Cockburn. Um, well, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to say beat him to a spot, push him off the spot. You know, he when he holds his position, you know, it, he, he's a tough move. You know, he's, he's a very tough move. And so for us, you know, we just have to do a better job of playing defense with our feet and with our head and trying to beat him to certain spots. And, you know, I thought there were times, you know, we battled him and, and we got some deflections and we didn't let the ball um, go into him. And then there were some times, you know, he'd lean on you and get that body on you. And it's just really hard to get off of his body and try to get a deflection or when he catches the basketball, you know, that's a lot of weight coming at you to try to hold your ground. Yes, it is. Again, Illinois lists Kofi Cockburn as being seven feet tall and 285 pounds. There just aren't many people like that in college basketball. Heck, there aren't a lot of guys like that in the NBA. Uh, Now, the Terps did hold Illinois to just 8 of 30 on threes. But, you know, it doesn't really matter much when you get shredded on the offensive glass. 19-4, uh, the Terps went 6 of 16 on threes. Some standouts for the Terps. Dante Scott, 2 of 4 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos. He finished with 17 points and 7 rebounds in 37 minutes as a starter. Eric Ayala went 3 of 5 on threes, 2 of 2 on twos, and just 3 of 7 on free throws. Finished with 16 points and 3 assists versus one turnover in 36 minutes as a starter. And the Rhode Island transfer, point guard Fats Russell, 0-2 on threes, 4-9 on twos, 3-6 on free throws, finished with 11 points and five assists versus two turnovers in 35 minutes as a starter. But bottom line, Terps now are 0-3 in the Big Ten and have another game coming up on Sunday. The Terps will host number 23, Wisconsin, Sunday night at 7.30.
All right, before we call it a show, let's talk about this Glenn Consor thing. So Glenn Consor, he has been a basketball analyst in the Washington, D.C. area for years, and he became national news on Thursday. Glenn was serving as the in-game analyst for NBC Sports Washington's telecast of the Wizards' 114-111 loss to the Houston Rockets at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night, a game that the Wizards lost on a Kevin Porter Jr., 25-foot left wing, contested three for a 114-111 Rockets lead with four-tenths of a second left in the fourth quarter. Glenn, shortly after Kevin Porter Jr.'s game-winning three, said, quote, Kevin Porter Jr., like his dad, pulled that trigger right at the right time, end quote. Glenn pretty clearly thought that Kevin Porter Jr. is the son of a former Bullets player, Kevin Porter. Uh, Kevin Porter played for the Bullets in various stints in the 1970s and 1980s. Well, the problem is that Kevin Porter Jr. is not the son of former Bullet Kevin Porter. Uh, Former Bullet Kevin Porter was born in 1950. Kevin Porter Jr. was born in 2000. Now, that doesn't mean that Kevin Porter could not be the father of Kevin Porter Jr. You know, like someone who's 50 can father a son. Okay, that does happen. But, you know, that is the kind of thing that should make you say, hmm, wait a second. Uh, The former bullet Kevin Porter, he's in his 70s now. Is he really the dad of this guy, Kevin Porter Jr.? Well, Kevin Porter Jr. is the son of Brian Kevin Porter Sr. Brian Kevin Porter Sr. pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter in the shooting death of a 14-year-old girl in 1993. Brian Kevin Porter Sr. ended up being sentenced to four years and six months in prison for that crime. And in 2004, Brian Kevin Porter Sr. was shot and killed in a Seattle bar while attempting to help someone being attacked. So yeah, Glenn saying, quote, Kevin Porter Jr., like his dad, pulled that trigger right at the right time, and quote, not good. And what Glenn said became a thing, a big thing. What he said went viral. If you are familiar with Twitter, and God help you if you are, but if you are familiar with Twitter, you perhaps have heard of NBA Twitter. NBA Twitter is a phrase for all of these things that get said and trend on Twitter regarding the NBA, which skews young and thus has a sizable Twitter presence. Although the NFL's Twitter presence is larger, but NBA Twitter was all over this Glenn Consort thing. And then Bron Bron said his piece. Yes, LeBron James superstar player for your Los Angeles Lakers, got involved in this Glenn Consor thing. LeBron James on Thursday morning tweeted the following about what Glenn Consor said, quote, oh, he thought this was cool, huh? Nah, we ain't going for this, sorry, but this ain't going to fly. How insensitive can you be to say something like this? Beat it, man. I pray for you, but there's no place in our beautiful game for you, end quote. Bron Bron had spoken. Well, Glenn Consor on Thursday morning apologized. 
He issued the following statement on Twitter, quote, please allow me to take this opportunity to sincerely apologize to Kevin Porter Jr., his family, and the Rockets organization for the comments I made during last night's game. I mistakenly thought that Kevin was the son of former Washington player Kevin Porter and was unaware that the words I chose to describe his game-winning shot would be in any way hurtful or insensitive. I have reached out to Kevin to personally apologize and hope to be able to talk with him soon, end quote. But Glenn Consor's apology was not enough for LeBron. King LeBron was not pleased with that apology. King LeBron doubled down on his tweet during a press conference later on Thursday. Here's what old Bron Bron had to say. I don't want to hear that excuse. Could he have made a mistake? Absolutely. But in our job, in our field, as professionals, we are in a professional league. You got to do your due diligence and do your job all the way to the point where why did he even say that at the end of that game anyways those words so i'm not taking back nothing i said nothing at all all right uh so a few things on all of this first of all i know glenn consor uh you know he's not like my best friend or anything but i have interacted with him many times. I started off in radio as a producer in college, and one of the first shows that I ever produced was a weekly college basketball show that Glenn Consor and Chris Naki did in 1999 called College Hoops Scoop or something like that. Uh, Glenn's a good guy. He's not some jerk. He's not some buffoon. He knows basketball well. He has a great passion for basketball, and he's far from some shock jock who would intentionally mock Kevin Porter Jr.'s dad. I would be stunned, absolutely stunned, if this was anything other than an honest mistake. Now, this was a mistake, okay? It's not a mistake that should have been made, but it's not unfathomable. And to me, it is understandable. I mean, an in-game NBA analyst isn't going to have committed to memory the biographies of every NBA player, including what happened with every NBA player's parents 30 years ago, okay? I mean, let's be realistic about things here. Should Glenn have known that Kevin Porter Jr. isn't the son of former Bullet Kevin Porter? Yes. But should Glenn have absolutely known what went down with Kevin Porter Jr.'s dad decades ago? I mean, yes, in theory, but not necessarily, okay? And this just seems to be an awful coincidence that it turns out that Kevin Porter Jr.'s dad shot and killed someone and then was shot and killed himself. And then Glenn saying what he said on Wednesday night. I mean, that to me is far more likely just a horrible coincidence as opposed to Glenn trying to make a bad joke. I mean, let's think about this for a moment, okay? Why would Glenn Consor make a joke like that? Glenn Consor is an older guy. This is not someone in his 20s or 30s, you know, trying to carve out a career for himself in broadcasting. This is someone who's been doing this for years. And in 2022, given the current climate in this country, given the current super sensitive cancel culture climate in this country, you'd have to be an idiot to make a joke like that on television. What do you think is more likely, that Glenn Consor, after decades of working in the media, made a bad joke, or that he just made an honest mistake? That can happen, you know. Honest mistakes happen. We all make mistakes. But what I really want to get into 
is this LeBron James stuff? I have to tell you, I am getting really tired of LeBron's act. Few professional athletes get hysterical like Bron Bron. Few professional athletes play the victim as willingly as Bron Bron does. He has completely overreacted to this Glenn Consor thing. And because LeBron James is who he is, he has made this Glenn Consor thing a much bigger deal than it had to be. And now, Bron Bron is refusing to back off what he tweeted. And what's so funny about this, what is so ironic about this, is that LeBron himself has been guilty of saying things that were offensive, or at least could be perceived as offensive, but then were couched as mistakes, or were couched as, well, you know, I didn't really mean it how I said it or how it came off. You know, you have to be really careful in our current climate, because the people who express the most condemnation often are guilty of that which those people are condemning. You know, rules for thee, but not for me. LeBron James in December 2018 had an Instagram post in which he quoted a song lyric that included the phrase Jewish money. Yeah, Bron Bron did that. He had been quoting the song ASMR by 21 Savage and LeBron in the Instagram post wrote, we've been getting that Jewish money. Everything is kosher end quote. Said LeBron to ESPN in December 2018, quote, apologies for sure if I offended anyone. That's not why I chose to share that lyric. I always post lyrics. That's what I do. I ride in my car. I listen to great music. And that was the byproduct of it. So I actually thought it was a compliment. And obviously, it wasn't through the lens of a lot of people. My apologies. It definitely was not the intent, obviously, to hurt anybody end quote. Okay. I mean, it's a pretty stupid mistake to make, all right? You put out a tweet that includes the phrase Jewish money, all right? But whatever. People make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. I certainly did not advocate for LeBron James to be canceled in December 2018 because he put out those lyrics. LeBron apologized. Okay. How come LeBron's apology in December 2018 was fine, but Glenn Consor's apology is not. How about LeBron's tweet about a cop last year? Did you follow this? LeBron James last April tweeted a photo of a white cop named Nick Reardon involved in the shooting of a 16-year-old black girl named Micaiah Bryant in Columbus, Ohio. The photo included LeBron writing in all caps, quote, your next hashtag accountability, end quote. Well, it turns out that the body-worn camera of Nick Reardon recorded what happened. Reardon drew his weapon as an altercation unfolded. A person wearing a black t-shirt was seen with an object in her right hand that she raised toward a second person before Reardon opened fire. The girl whom Reardon shot and killed was Micaiah Bryant. Police picked up what appeared to be a knife near Brian's body, and an officer can be heard on camera saying, quote, she had a knife, she just went at her, end quote. And LeBron ultimately deleted the tweet. Now look, a 16-year-old girl dying is sad, but for someone with LeBron's stature and notoriety to convict Nick Reardon 
of being a bad cop, of being a racist cop, because that's what LeBron was saying, okay? That Nick Reardon is a racist cop before any of the facts came out about what happened was ridiculous, was reckless, was irresponsible. And yet Bron Bron did that. And the fact that LeBron deleted that tweet tells you everything that you need to know. He did not stand by that tweet. He deleted that tweet. LeBron's outrage over this Glenn Consor thing is over the top. And LeBron's lack of forgiveness is a joke. Okay? Stop with the self-righteousness. Glenn Consor made a mistake, a bad mistake. And he apologized for that mistake. But that LeBron James may be the single biggest name in sports in this country is acting like this, given what he has done, is ridiculous to me. I mean, this really is hysterical to me that old Bron Bron is acting this way. I don't know what's going to happen with Glenn Consor. Uh, I find it very interesting and quite honestly, very disappointing, the lack of support that Glenn Consor is getting from his employer right now. And I'm interested to see what ends up happening along those lines. But yeah, LeBron, pipe down. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 225, will mark the start of the Washington football team offseason. Yes, I'll certainly talk about whatever happens in Washington's season finale at the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon. But Monday marks the first full day of what sets up to be a gigantic 2022 offseason for Washington in so many ways. So we'll have a lot to discuss. Also on Monday's show, I'll review the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Capitals, who have yet to play this week, will play twice this weekend. The Caps will be at the St. Louis Blues Friday night at 8, and then at the Minnesota Wild Saturday night at 8. The Wizards will play twice this weekend as well, at the Chicago Bulls Friday night at 8, and then at the Orlando Magic Sunday evening at 6. And we have lots of college basketball this weekend. Maryland will host number 23 Wisconsin Sunday night at 7.30. Georgetown, which hasn't played a game since December 18th, will host Marquette Friday evening at 6.30. And Virginia will play at North Carolina, Saturday afternoon at 1. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. And Jack, just since this is, I think, the last time we'll get to talk to you, are, are you hopeful to come back to this position next year? <laughs> I, don't even know, I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm not hopeful. Uh, <laughs> will be.